Welcome back, everyone. This is the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. This is the show for culture makers, where we want to help you think about culture in a way that honors God, in a way that takes every thought captive to Jesus the King. I'm Ryan Aris, and this is episode 12 of season 2 of the podcast for cultural reformation. It's our newest episode ever at the time. And we're focusing this season on cultural pressure points, where the ground is shifting under our feet, and what the timeless, authoritative Word of God calls normal. Today we're bringing you the second half of my interview with Colin Harbinson on Christianity and the Arts. Colin talks about how God reveals himself in much more than text, how scripture gives us a comprehensive depiction of truth. Colin also offers some guiding principles for young and aspiring artists, some biblical correctives for fixing what he explains is a broken arts scene. Yeah, it's a it's a uniquely human thing. Like it's uh, on, only human beings have arts. Like it's uh, it's clearly clearly something clearly an element or an aspect of being image bearers of God that yeah. that the creative impulse exists. Like you don't uh, you don't see you don't see this in in the animal kingdom. No, no, you don't. And I, I mean, I, I just love how God's revelation of Himself begins. In the beginning, God created, and in His self revelation, God declares that He's an artist. So that the imagination and the creativity, He is the source of all of that. Mm-hmm. And of course, we know that he's made us in his image, as his image bearers, and therefore we have uh, the capacity, not the same as him, but we have the capacity to imagine, to dream, and to create beauty and experience it and enjoy it. So uh, a question that, uh, that I, I come back to from time to time in my own mind is, uh, is this relationship between Christianity and the arts, um, in as much as to say that like, Christi- Christianity is a religion uh, rooted in history, um, focused on the person of Christ, um, theologically centered on word revelation. And I've, I've, heard, I've heard arguments that this is one of the reasons why a lot of evangelical efforts in the arts uh, kind of flop. They seem wooden. They seem unsophisticated. They always seem to follow the same kind of conversion story narrative. Um, is there is there an inherent contradiction or an inherent weakness with um, the word-based nature of Christianity, uh, the linear view of history that it embodies, and and the nature of art that? Uh, where art art shows rather than tells the message. Yes, and I, I, I think you've hit on something here that I think is critical, um, critical to understand. Um, I, I think you're absolutely correct. So much of what we see in the name of you know, Christian art, mm-hmm. and we could, we, could, we could spend some time talking about if there's such a thing, yes. but yeah, there's, you know, and everything seems to have a conversion experience and um, lacking um, the type of power um, that the arts has. And I think, I think honestly, 
Um, it's partly a, a lack of understanding. And, and I'm, I mean, I'm a student of the word. Um, the word is so important. Uh, and yet, as, as I look at the word, I don't see an exclusivity. Uh, you can correct me, but I don't see an exclusivity of, of word-based revelation. Because, you know, when, um, when we look at, for example, um, the word of the Lord in Scripture, the word of the Lord came to in a dream. The word of the Lord came to in, in a vision. I mean, we've only got to look at Daniel, the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, to see the overwhelming nature of the imagery that's there. And I, and I would, I would venture to say that scripture uh, images truth as well as it does propositionally. Um, and I, you know, I, I think of Will Durant, the historian, when looking at the Reformation, he said, you know, truth banished beauty as an infidel. Yeah. Um, and, and I think in the Protestant tradition, not in the Catholic tradition, but in the Protestant tradition, and now particularly uh, in the evangelical tradition, um, there's such a huge suspicion um, of image. And of course, right. rightly so, in its in, in its distortion and, and uh, in in that period of time, but I honestly think that we kicked the baby out with the bathwater, and and to me, when we look at Jesus, yes, Jesus is the Word. The Scripture also tells us that He's the image of the invisible God, and I and I think this is where the incarnation. Can help us mm -hmm. from a theological and practical perspective. You know, the invisible God became visible in Jesus. That's right. The, the incarnation, and we behold Him, and He has seen me, has seen the Father, and every work of art is a, a little incarnation. Does um, it take ideas and concepts? And, and incarnates them, fleshes them out so that they can be seen and observed in, in a new and uh, a different way and, and receive revelation. So, um, I, I mean, I could say a, a lot more about that, but I think this is an area we really need to get to grips with because, um, so often I, I see a powerful piece of, if we want to use it, gospel-bearing art. Mm -hmm. And then the pastor gets up for 20 minutes and preaches a sermon because, you know, we have to have the Word and, and we don't trust the fact of what we've seen that has impacted our minds and our heart and our emotions. And by the time the pastor or whoever's speaking is finished, the impact of the theater or the whatever it was has, has been lost. So, I, I, and then we do get the wooden type of things, the mediocre type of things, the preachy type of things, the sentimental type of things that we get very often. Thankfully, that is changing. We really are. We're so far behind the ball 
you know, that we've rejected the arts for so long. We're on catch-up mode, and we still have a long way to catch up. But things are changing. But we need to really get to understand um, how this works and how the art works, how art works, uh, and how it speaks, and the language um, it uses, um, because until we understand that, we really won't understand, um, you know, the subject that we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. What to, what would make a work of art Christian or non-Christian? Well, I mean, if I would just put it um, blatantly, there are two types of art. Mm-hmm. Good art and bad art. Um, and, and when I say good art, I mean technically excellent, yes. but I also, I mean excellent also in its truthfulness. Uh, because so much, so much art is not truthful. Sentimental art is not truthful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's, there's two types of art, I believe, good art and bad art. And a lot of, certainly in the past, hopefully not too much now, but a lot of Christians felt like if I did a piece of pottery, you know, in order to validate me doing it, I mean, taking the time to, to do this, um, I need to put something Christian on it, so I need to put a fish. Um, right. yeah. or, or maybe, maybe a Bible verse. Um, and so the problem is when we don't have a kingdom worldview, you know, when, when we just um, see what I call um, a doorway theology, which is just about entering into the kingdom, important as that is, we'll produce doorway art um, and feel the necessity that every piece of art we do has to have a message in order to validate me doing it as a Christian. And what, why why would it be valid for me to spend a few hours making some pottery? I've got to Christianize it by putting a fish in or, or something on it. Right. And so, you know, this, this distorted type of thinking, um, hopefully, um, is, is disappearing. We don't need necessarily income to have Christian content to make a work of art. Christian, if you want to use that term. Mm-hmm. It becomes Christian when the artist is expressing something out of a biblical worldview that can be expressed without having crucifixions and Bible verses. God, because he's seeking to redeem and restore every area of his creation, every area of life is, is valid for us to pursue to the glory of God. And I don't need to have Bible content. God has something to say about every area of life, and my art can speak in a biblical worldview for every aspect of life. As you're talking about that, I love the vision that you're articulating for that, but I also know and I also we also hear pretty regularly from from certain quarters that there's like the arts, the arts community. Um, Hollywood, the all of these sort of hubs of um, of arts and entertainment are just den, dens of iniquity. And I mean, there's like you see some news reports where there are, there are cases where that's very obviously true. Yeah. Um, yeah. The arts uh, or artists tend to uh, I don't even know if this is fair to say, but many there are many artists live an immoral lifestyle. Um, yeah. What is the uh, what? What's the strategy 
if we're talking about art as cultural engagement, cultural transformation, um, what's the uh, what what are some guiding principles for for artists uh, who going into this uh, this pretty uh, pretty fraught area? Yeah, I was I was really hoping that we'd have an opportunity um, <laughs> to talk about this oh, because it, it is. So important, and and I think you know a lot of Christians are hesitant of uh, sending their children into art school or whatever because they they look at the arts and see them so broken. Mm-hmm. They look at the artists and see the artists so broken, and living as you say in a moral lifestyle, and they they question. And I and I've heard you know a number of people um, say, well. Why do we do it? You know, why if, if it's so distorted, why do we risk engaging the arts? Why do we risk um, seeking um, God's kingdom to come in the middle of the arts when it's when it's so dangerous? And I and I think to me the first obvious answer to that is this: <laughs> the calling that God has placed on our lives is to participate with Him in his ministry of reconciliation and restoration. You know, I think too often in the past, Christians, they looked at radio, they looked at television, they looked at all sorts of things, and they saw the distortion. And they said, we can't participate in that. We need to get out of here. And they went back to their own little subculture. Yeah. And they tried to do the same thing within their little Christian home, and, and we lost our seat at the table. We lost our place in the uh, in the conversation, mm-hmm. and uh, and ended up um, just walking away, abandoning an area that was bruised and wounded, rather than saying, "Lord, this is your area. These are your gifts. What are you wanting to do? How can I be a part of how your restoration is going to take place in these areas?" So I think mean, that's the first thing. This, this, uh, let's run away, abandon yeah. the woundedness in our culture instead of facing it with the Lord. But that brings up a very real question that um, artists, Christians, are going to be placed in the middle of a world where there is all sorts of distortion. And, and this is why uh, I feel so strongly that along with any vision for the arts, um, that there needs to be um, a, a vision for Christian discipleship. I like to use the I, I call the Isaiah six principle. You, you recall how Isaiah came from the people of the unclean lips, and God called him back to minister to the people of the unclean lips. Yeah. But before God could do that. And what did he have to do? He had to have that cold touch Isaiah's lips and pronounce him cleansed and clean in order to go to the people of the unclean lips. Because if Isaiah, who had picked up that uncleanness from his own culture, if he's going back to that culture um, that struggles with that same distortion, and he hasn't had his lips cleansed, it's not going to be long before he's going to be back again um, in that same distortion and uncleanness. 
It's only as he allows God to cleanse that distortion in him can he go back into that culture that has those same distortions and walk with purity and speak God's word with purity. But I take that principle into the arts. If the arts are broken, and they are, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, let me just mention a few things that, that are, are key on my sub-list. Yeah. Idolatry, pride, impurity, independence. These are just a few of the things. If you go into the art world, you won't spend five minutes there without confronting sexual impurity and pride and, and, and idolatry. And the thing is, if a Christian who's struggling with sexual impurity, for example, goes into the world of the arts, they're going to be confronted more than ever with the opposite opportunity to sin in that area of their life because it's there, it's rampant, it's all around them. The same with pride. If you're struggling with pride, my goodness, if you go into the area of the arts, you're going to really struggle um, with with pride. Um, identity. So many artists, um, basically their identity yeah. uh, is in their gifts. Mm-hmm. And like for me, you know, my identity was in my gifts, and God had to say no to the Edinburgh Festival. Because if your identity is in your gift, and with so many artists, this is true, it's going to bring emotional and spiritual devastation. When you're successful, you're going to be on a high. When you're not successful, you're going to be in the depths of despair. And we see this everywhere. Mm-hmm. So my point, my point, Ryan, is this. That if we are to encourage artists to be those with a vision of transformation within the area of the arts and to get engaged, we have to show them that there are, I call them stones. There are pitfalls that they will trip over. Mm-hmm. And I say sadly that many of my friends who began loving God, loving the art, wanting to serve him in that area, walked into that area unprepared spiritually. And today no longer witness to Christ in their lives at all. They've walked away from him. So this is this is the danger. And this is why we have to uh, identify these areas. And I use the biblical principle of coming in the opposite spirit. And so idolatry. Oh my goodness. I, I mean there's so much of it in the world of the arts. Mm-hmm. So what what is coming in the opposite spirit of idolatry? How do we prepare an artist not to do that? Well, the answer is worship. The opposite, worship. Because if we are worshippers in spirit and truth, we won't be easily tempted to make art an idol. If we're struggling in pride, what's the antidote to that? Well, it's humility. It's actually knowing our strengths. It's knowing our weaknesses. It's being real and being transparent. You know, one of the things that that grieves me so much is when I see Christians performing and at the end uh, the audience may be giving them a standing ovation, clapping loudly. And there the performers, they're looking at their shoes 
They're looking at the stage. They're looking miserable. And, you know, this, this is a total misunderstanding of what it means to walk in humility. Yeah. Because when someone praises you, what do you do? You say, thank you. And so when an audience praises you, you look them in the eye, you smile, and you say, thank you. And in your heart, you say, thank you, Lord. Yeah. Because all that I am, all that I can do is because of you and who you are. It's not wrong to receive praise. It's just wrong to hold on to it and not to give it where it belongs. And the same with impurity. We need to have our members as instruments of righteousness. And, and I could go on. So the discipleship process, really, is to help artists to deal with some of these issues of distortion in the arts world and to help them deal with those same issues in their lives so that they won't succumb to the temptation and will be able to fulfill God's call on their lives in the middle uh, of that broken world. You've uh, you've mentioned discipleship a few times, and it uh, from, based on everything that you're saying, I can see the uh, the absolute necessity of that, uh, especially in the arts world. Um, is what what is in place? Uh, what what's been done? Uh, what's uh, what's ongoing for for artists um, in terms of discipleship? What what do they have available to them? Um, I guess uh, within or without the church. Well, you know, what happened, Brian, in the early days when, like in the late 60s, early 60s, the church didn't have a clue. Mm -hmm. um, things are changing and have changed, but there was nowhere for the artists to go. And so, you know, they went to organizations. Organizations sprang up um, all over the place that were, uh, their whole foundational purpose was to help artists, to give them a place of discipleship, of relationship, of community, um, and that was very important. I, I think now as we've got a lot more understanding, um, I mean, there's organizations like um, Youth of the Mission mm -hmm. um, that I was a part of for a long time. They run numerous programs around the world that have an artistic and creative focus. So the artist comes in um, and can go through a, a course for five or six months, including an outreach, where they have daily teaching and daily application to that truth so that there can be continued life-transforming um, things take place. And just myself as an example, I mentioned the pride in my life. Um, when I went into you for the mission, the first thing we had to do was do a discipleship school. Honestly, I had open heart surgery. Um, I was a different person because I saw the pride and what it did to God. And I just broke. I was broken um, and embraced a desire to walk in humility in my life. And so the programs, there are programs, um, OM, Organization Mobilization, very interesting. You may be familiar with that, George Verra, there are the uh, ships that travel the world. Yeah. Mainly started as a literature, a word-based organization. Um, 
they asked me uh, five, six, seven years ago to come and help them to be more creative in what they were doing. They now have um, arts, um, expressions, and discipleship going on in many, many hundreds of 180-something countries around the world, but they have one special course held in Italy, which we started for artists, and they um, are training artists there, but artists who are trained, who want to make an impact on the world, um, come there um, for four months, and, and they, they go through a discipleship part of the program. They do a biblical base where they understand the arts from a biblical perspective, and then they do cross-cultural training. And so there's a number now of different programs and organizations around the world that are seeing the importance of discipling artists mm. uh, in order to fulfill their, their role. So very encouraging, and I really, my prayer is to let them continue and grow more and more. What, what do you see as the, um, the relationship of arts to the church? Well, I mean, that's uh, another stormy one. Yeah, yeah. And again, again, it's changing. Um, but I'm still amazed that um, I meet people who have come up. What, 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 I, what I talk about, I, mean, I, I actually like to refer back to Psalm 137. You know, the, the artists um, at, at, the, at the river. Of Babylon, mm. and these were these were artists in exile. Yeah, uh, and, and I I believe the artist and has been in exile to the church, and I think the church has been in exile to the arts for a very very long time. And those artists by the rivers of Babylon had become you know so discouraged for a number of different reasons. They were longing for home uh, where they belonged, uh, which was Jerusalem. And they'd actually laid down their instruments. They'd given up their art form. They'd hung up their instruments in the trees. Yeah. Um, and, and, and were just longing to be home um, where they belong. And this is, this is what has, I think, been a pattern as we've looked at the church, that uh, so many artists have become so discouraged by a lack of understanding uh, and encouragement that they've abandoned the arts altogether. I mean, some of them have even been taught that it's not a Christian thing. You can't be an artist and be a Christian. I mean, extraordinary. Uh, and this is from Christian leaders and, and pastors. Um, and so I, I think there's just been a, generations of artists who are gifted, called of God, that have felt this exiling in the church and, and have become discouraged. Some, of course, and sadly, uh, have rebelled and said, you know, if you don't recognize my gifts and you don't want them, then I'm going somewhere else. And they've left the church. And there's so many artists right now. Some of them have walked away from God. Some of them are meeting in small groups on their own because they feel persecuted and misunderstood. And of course, that's an attitude that uh, we don't want to encourage. But it's something something that is very, very real. and then just, I mean, just quickly, um, I would say one of the reasons for this exile is ignorance, ignorance of the arts. Um, so many leaders in the evangelical church have been brought up in a world without art, um, or at least in a world that you know has had 
sentimental pictures in their home or uh, a very limited understanding. And so where there's ignorance of the arts, it can be very threatening. Um, and it can be very difficult to encourage people in something you don't understand. And of course, you know, very often the things that we don't uh, understand, um, we reject. And that's, that's what's happened so much, particularly in the evangelical churches. In other churches, Protestant and Catholic, it's, it's not the case at all. Mm. And I think, you know, and again, I think we go back to value. Um, I think very often as evangelicals, we have thought of things um, to be valued in direct relationship to whether they have the ability to bring about personal salvation. If we do something that has the possibility of seeing people saved and coming to Jesus, then that activity is considered to be valuable. If we look at it as an activity and we don't see how on earth that can bring people to Christ, yeah. then we relegate it down to the bottom of the list. But I think that's very often what has happened. Instead of having a, a kingdom worldview, uh, looking at the every area of life on the Lordship of Christ, when we just we just have a singular salvation focus, then it's hard to actually make an argument for the value of the arts and for Christian engagement in the arts. No, absolutely. Well, Colin, this has been this has been a really, uh, I guess, uh, a really enlightening conversation, coming away with a lot to a lot to think about. Um, bef- before I let you go, uh, for for those those Christians, those non-artists. Who would be interested in in understanding the arts better? Who would be interested in in understanding the the role and nature of the arts uh, for the glory of God? Um, do you have any recommendations for what they should read or watch or uh, go out and uh, go out and see? Yeah, I mean, I, there there are more and more resources. Um, there are a lot of books. I think if you, you know, if you want to uh, Google, um, I mean, I, I have lists, so I don't have them in front of me, but um, I, you can Google um, books on, on the arts and faith. Um, and Imagine, a book called Imagine, is a good is a good one to start with. But there are there are many many now mm. um, that have been. Francis Schaeffer, you know, wrote a very small booklet on the arts, which is still in use today and it's very insightful. Right. There's there's resources, um, there's teaching, you know, I have a teaching series um, on the arts and faith, it's video. Um, so I, I think, you know, a good place to start would be to Google some of some of these things um, and, and look at organizations. If you again Google um, arts organizations. There's a multitude now of arts organizations um, around the world. And if you get to pull those up, um, you'll see there on their websites, many of them um, offer resources, um, artic- free articles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that would be a, a good place to start looking at resources available in the arts and faith, and, and arts groups, dance, theater, music, visual arts, film, 
it's all out there, easily accessible, and most of them have uh, attached resources that could be very helpful. And and in particular, uh, where can people go to find out more about uh, about yourself, about your work? Well, I've, I've got a couple of um, websites. I, I I have to confess um, that they're they're not active right now um, for a number of reasons, but they are there as resources, and they have resources in them. One is um, ColinHarginson.com, um, my name.com. And then, um, and, and also in these websites, you'll hear reports about what God has done through the arts in Russia, China, Bulgaria, and around the world. Um, and the second one is stoneworks-arts.org. Stoneworks-arts.org. And you can, um, you know, find a number of different articles and reports and and resources there. And maybe with a closing word to pick up on the non-artist, I, I, I really want to say this, and I believe it with all my heart. You know, there's, there's such a feeling, and it, it can be the arrogance of the art world, that they own the domain of creativity. They don't. You know, um, creativity and imagination is part of what it means to be a human being. You may not consider yourself to be an artist, but you're made in the image of God, and therefore you're able to imagine, to be creative, uh, whether, whether it's in your home or whether it's in your work or whatever it is, you can bring, engage that God-given imagination, that God-given creativity. Expose yourself to the arts. Go, go to a gallery. Um, go, to, go to the show um, and, and learn more of that, but understand you also have the ability to imagine and to create in all sorts of areas that don't involve performance. Um, so be encouraged with that. Wonderful. That's uh, Colin Harbertson. Thank you so much for, uh, for your time. Really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast for Cultural Reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please take a moment to like, share, and rate the podcast on social media and your favorite listening platform. For more resources, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca.